0: Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2, and I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now before this broadcast is over with, I will be giving you my predictions for who will win at this Sunday's pay-per-view of WWE's Extreme Rules. Now, let's start the show off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opened up with The New Day, the whole New Day, which consists of Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, and the new WWE Champion Big E coming out to the ring for Big E's championship celebration. He thanks the fans that chanted, New Day rocks. And at one time in the in the New Day's career, basically at the beginning, semi, whenever fans would chant, New Day sucks. He says to the fans that were with him climbing the ladder when he won the briefcase, the Money in the Bank briefcase, and the fans that lost their minds when he became the WWE champion last week, he wants to say thank you. He then has to cut down the celebration short because he now has to handle business with his Bernoude brethren because now they have to face the bloodline. Biggie says they are going to send the bloodline back packing the Smackdown. Because New Day rocks. So you have the whole New Day in there celebrating it up. But now they know it's time for business. And once they know it's time for business, the bloodline comes out. They're spearheaded by Roman Reigns, who now comes out with a red gauntlet glove because he's on Monday Night Raw. Which I personally thought that was a nice little touch up to his character. And he's flanked by... Paul Heyman, who's holding the Universal Championship, and his cousins, the Usos, who are the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. They get into the ring. The Bloodline is facing down with the New Day. Roman Reigns holds up the Universal Championship in front of Big E. Big E holds up the WWE Championship in front of Roman Reigns. And now it has been announced that that's going to be the first match of the night. The New Day going against the Bloodline. So, as the New Day going against the Bloodline is happening... This match was a great way to start off Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw starting off with a main event that should have been the main event of any card. It should have been the main event of Survivor Series if you will. But they started off with Monday Night Raw as the opening show. Only should have gave us some it should have told us something that something was going to happen that will lead to the main event. Because this six-man tag team match was always destined to be good. There was no way it wasn't going to be good. You have the Usos in there. You have Roman Reigns. You have the Big E and you have the rest of the New Day. Kofi and Xavier, all these six men are able to have great chemistry with one another. And long story short, the Bloodline do beat the New Day. When Bobby Lashley came down to the ring and speared Biggie and attacked Kofi Kingston, you thought Bobby Lashley was only going to go after the New Day. But no, he goes after the Usos who were also on the outside of the ring. And this distracted Xavier Woods, who was the legal man for his team, while Roman was the legal man for the bloodline. And Xavier, seeing this, he looks at Bobby and just shouts at him, what are you doing out here? And as soon as he turns around, he gets a spear by Roman, and Roman pins Xavier for the win. Once the match is over with, Roman gets up and he throws his finger up in the air for declaring we're the ones, he's the main guy. And as soon as he turns around, he eats a spear from Lashley. And then Lashley goes right back outside and he sees Big E next to a barricade. And he runs full stru- full speed ahead to Big E and spears him right through a barricade. And he just puts Big E through the barricade. And the last person that was standing out of all this carnage was Bobby Lashley. Again, this six-man tag team match, I will highly suggest if you haven't seen Monday Night Raw, go watch it. If you haven't. Go to YouTube if you don't have it. Go to YouTube and watch it. I promise you, you won't be disappointed in the six-man match. But anyway, Lashley dominated this at the end of it because he wants to prove a point that Monday Night Raw is still his show. He's still the man. They go to commercial, and when they come back from commercial, you see Bobby Lashley walking backstage, and he's headed towards Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville's uh, office. Lashley walks right through, and he looks directly at Adam Pearce, and he tells him that he isn't through with Biggie. He tells him he was hurt after his match with Randy last week. That is why Biggie was able to capitalize on him and become the WWE champion, and now he wants revenge. He says the Almighty Era doesn't stop, and Raw is always going to be about him. And once he's done saying his whole tirade, this leaves Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville just completely speechless. And Bobby Lashley walks out of the locker room. Well, not the locker room, their office. Uh, The announced team didn't give us a medical update on MVP. MVP is out indefinitely because of uh, some cracked ribs that he got from taking an RKO from Randy Orton last week. And once they say this, we go backstage to Randy Orton in his locker room, and he has headphones on while he's looking at his Raw Tag Team Championship. And Riddle comes right beside him, and he tries to motivate Randy because Randy lost WWE Championship opportunity last week. And he tells him that AJ doesn't stand a chance against him tonight. And he talks about uh tells Randy a story about taking his family to a safari when he was a child. Randy has to stop him Where the story is going. And he tells Riddle the only way that he'll best help Randy tonight is if he handles Omaz and tells him that safari story while he handles AJ in the ring, and everything will be fine. Riddle says, I got you, bro. And that was the end of this segment. Now it's time for in-ring competition. We got Eva Marie going against Dewdrop. Before the match starts, Eva grabs the mic's. And wants the fans to look at her and then look at Dewdrop. She says women like Dewdrop will never beat women that look like Eva Marie. So this is fuels Dewdrop up just to beat up Eva Marie even more. Once the bell rings, Eva Marie does a whole little cat and mouse game with her. She tries to run in the ring and then run out of the ring. She tries to have Dewdrop chase her, which Dewdrop does do. But once Dewdrop does catches her in the ring, it's a wrap. She is able to beat down on Eva Marie. And then was able to hit her with a uh, sliding body splash to get the win. This was just basically a one-sided thrashing from Dude Drop to Eva Marie. After this match, we get Biggie walking around in the backstage. And he goes to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville's office. And he tells him that he wants both Lashley and Roman tonight in a triple threat match. And he tells him to make it happen. We go to commercial and then we come back from commercial. We have Paul Heyman walking into Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville's office. He tells them he tells them both that Lashley and Biggie have come into your office and complained and moaned so far. He's not here to complain nor moan. He's here to deliver a message from their tribal chief Roman Reigns. Adam Pierce immediately stops Paul Heyman and just now you have Paul and Adam having a complete shouting match and Sonya Deville has to step in and tell Paul that he needs to let Roman know that tonight it will be Big E going against Lashley, going against Roman Reigns in a triple threat match in the main event. Paul Heyman then gets a little grin on his face, and he says, that's what you want me to tell Roman? They say, yep, tell Roman. And he says, okay, I'll tell Roman. And then he walks away. Now we go back for in-ring competition. It's now time for Randy Orton to go against AJ Styles. In Randy's corner, he has Riddle. And in AJ's corner, he has Omos. Randy does beat AJ Styles by pinfall when AJ was going for the phenomenal forearm. But Randy was waiting for AJ to jump so he could hit him with a catching RKO. And as soon as AJ saw this happen, he jumped off the top rope and jumped right back onto the ring apron. And him and Randy just looked at each other and pointed at each other to acknowledge that they both were seeing exactly what each other were about to do. And as soon as AJ was about to enter the ring quickly, Randy quickly ran over and kicked AJ completely in the gut. Hit him with the middle rope DDT. And then as soon as AJ got up, he hit AJ with the RKO and pinned him for the win. Omos, in the middle of this match, was sent to the back after he pulled Randy's leg. And the referee didn't see it, but Randy and Riddle were complaining to the ref that Omos pulled on Randy's leg and tripped him, and so the referee had no other choice but to send Omos to the back. That's the reason why Omos wasn't around and he couldn't help out AJ at the end of this match. After this, we get a video playing of a video package of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, whole history of them having problems, which led them to this match that they're about to have right now. And the match is Nia Jax going against Shayna Baszler. Shayna ends up beating Nia Jax when she locks in the uh, Carafuta Clutch, on Naya, and Naya has to tap out. So Shayna beats Naya by putting her in submission. And then after the match, you have Naya Jackson sitting on the ring apron on the outside, and the referee is asking her to make sure she's okay, that she's breathing well. You have Shayna run up behind Naya and kick her right in the back, and Naya falls down to the ground outside. So now you have Shayna just beating down on Naya outside of the ring. She grabs Naya's left arm. And she puts it right in the slot right where uh, the wrestlers grab the steel steps where they put their fingers at. She puts her fingers right there and she runs over and kicks Nia's arm. And now you have Nia screaming in agonizing pain. And then you see a look on Shayna's face which is conflicted. But Shayna quickly gets over that and then she puts Nia Jack's arm on top of the steel steps. And she puts her foot right on top of Nia's arm. And you hear Nia just begging and pleading with Shayna telling her, don't do this. But Shayna has a conflicting look and she's like, she doesn't want to do it, but then she has to realize that she has to do this. And she quickly jumps up and jumps right onto Nia's arm and just stomps right on her arm. And you hear Nia wailing and screaming in horror and you even have Corey Graves on the commentary team, who's usually the guy that's always for the bad person rooting for them. He says that Shayna Baszler has done enough now. This is too much. So Shayna walks away. She has a conflicting look on her face, like what did she just do? But she knows that she just took out a problem that she's going that's been dealing with her for the past months. So more than likely we're probably gonna see a more evil, vindictive, vicious Shayna down the down the line. I'm hoping so. Because that's the Shayna that we've been missing from NXT to now. Because on NXT, she was a vicious, uh, completely vindictive person. Who would just choke you out and try to snap your arm without no problem. On Monday Night Raw, she hasn't been that person. She's been a shell of her former self. So with this attack on Nia, I'm hoping that we're going to get a little bit of that NXT flair back to Shayna Baszler. Now it's time for another tag team match. This time it's... Mustafa Ali and Mansoor going against a team of Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza are cousins. They come from the legendary Garza family. And last year and also in 2019, they were kind of feuding with each other for no apparent reason. So I'm glad that WWE have put these two cousins together because wrestling families should always stay together when they join into a wrestling company. Because whenever you have two people that are coming from the exact same family and they're on the exact same show, you would think it would make a lot of sense just to acknowledge that, okay, they're from the same family, they're cousins or they're brothers or they're even that they're siblings, uh, brother and sister duo. You will want to put them together because the fans will understand a family dynamic. Family is the easiest thing to understand. So I'm glad that they put Humberto and Angel together finally. Anyway, Humberto and Andrew Garza do win the match by pinfall when Humberto was able to lock Mustafa Ali in a headlock of some sort, and Andrew Garza was able to run over and dropkick Ali directly in the face and get the win. I mean, the maneuver looks more more devastating than the way I'm prescribing it. Well, not prescribing it, but describing it. I'm sorry. And I would suggest you go to YouTube just to go to WWE's uh, YouTube page and look at the clip. Of it because they're gonna have the clip of Andrew Garza going against uh Andrew Garza and Humberto going against Mustafa and Mansoor for on their Monday Night Raw. After this, they play a hype video for carrying Cross, basically to hype him up. And I'm glad they're doing this to kind of rebuild back carrying Cross up. I'm glad they're doing this because carrying Cross is a main eventer. He was bred up for the main roster, and I am glad they are doing what's necessary for Karen Cross to try to gain back that aura and luster that was stripped away from him as soon as he debuted in a loss to Jeff Hardy. I mean just loss. That again that's not a that's not a uh disparaging thing we're saying about Jeff Hardy. Never that. Is that whenever you get called up, you're not supposed to lose in your first match. That's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to either win by shenanigans or dominate. That's the only way you're supposed to uh Happened. That's the only way you're supposed to win in your debut match from NXT. Just to give a heads up. After this, we have a WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match. The team of Natalya and Tamina putting up their tag team titles against the team of Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley. Nikki and Rhea are your new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. After Natalya was about to lock in the sharpshooter on Nikki Ash, but was distracted, and looking at Rhea Ripley hitting the Riptide on Tamina on the ring aprons. This allowed Nikki to roll up Natalia for the pin, and now they are the new Women's Tag Team Champions. After this, we have an in-ring segment of the Alexa Playground with the host, Alexa, and her guest, Charlotte Flair. The main point of this whole thing is for Alexa to play mind games with Charlotte by trying to give her the Charlie doll back, telling her that she's going to take the champion Raw Women's Tag Women's Championship away from Charlotte and that she only gave uh, Charlotte the doll. So Charlotte can have something to play with once the championship is taken away from her. Charlotte basically isn't trying to play with none of this. She tells Alexa, I am not here for your mind games. And Charlotte tells Alexa that she wants to battle the old Alexa, not this version of of Alexa. She wants the Five Feet of Fury Alexa, the championship contender Alexa, Not this grown woman that's acting like a little girl, Alexa. Charlotte then decides to make it her mission to break this version of Alexa at Extreme Rules. And now you get Alexa basically chastising Charlotte, saying that I don't need to play mind games with you. I don't need to do none of this because I know exactly who I am. While you, Charlotte, you don't know who you are because you always have the championship. Without the championship, you don't know who you are. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen whenever you lose that championship to me and you don't longer have that championship? This leads to Alexa and Charlotte having a good spitter spatter between each other. And then they ultimately get into a brawl as this type of things happen. So you have Alexa and Charlotte brawling in the ring. And Charlotte at one point, big boots uh, Alexa and grabs the Charlie doll and rips it up, and busts it open. Um, Alexa was able to hit a tornado ddt on charlotte and they have charlotte ruling out of the ring and the last images that you see of this is alexa in the ring holding the lily doll and charlotte's outside the ring holding the raw women's championship walking up the ramp and they're just staring at each other this is their final kind of like thing that they can make you do to be interested in their match that they're having at this sunday's extreme rules pay-per-view they go Now it's time to go backstage, and Drake Maverick has Akira Tozawa, R-Truth, and Drew Gulak in his little area, and he's devised a plan to try to take the 24-7 championship off of Reggie. Drew Gulak was supposed to be the distraction, and as Drew Gulak was supposed to distract Reggie, R-Truth was supposed to drop a net on Reggie, and then they were supposed to take the 24-7 championship away from Reggie. When Drew was talking and distracting Reggie, Truth missed his cue to drop the net, and Reggie was able to notice this. And then he was able to get away and run away from all of them. And Reggie is still the 24-7 champion. Now it's time for in-ring competition. Jeff Hardy going against Sheamus. And the condition for this match is, if Jeff Hardy wins this match, he's added to the United States Championship match at Extreme Rules, which has Jeff Hart, well, Sheamus and Damian Priest, and it will make it a triple threat match. Damian Priest was on commentary for this whole match, and he's, he was watching this. He will just commentate saying that he has no problem with Jeff Hardy winning this and joining the match. He has no problem with it, and ultimately, Jeff Hardy does win the match when he was able to counter out of the white noise and go behind Sheamus, hit him with a roll-up, and get the pinfall. So Jeff Hardy is now added to the United States Championship match at Extreme Rules. So it will be Jeff Hardy going against Damian Priest and Sheamus for the United States Championship. After the match, Sheamus walks up to Priest and tells him, that he shouldn't have to have to face Jeff Hardy at all in this week at all, and he blames Priest. He blames all of this on Priest. Priest gets up and Sheamus pushes him, and now you have Priest and Sheamus brawling and fighting on the outside of the ring, and you have referees coming from the bag to try to break up this whole two big guys just slugging it out with each other. And again, this is another one of these. This is another match I'm going to be calling a sleeper match for the Extreme Rules. I think this one's going to be. A top-notch match at Extreme Rules. Especially when you got Damian Priest and Sheamus. Two guys that like to slug it out against each other at any time. And you have Jeff Hardy, who's willing to put his body on the line and do whatever he got to do to entertain the fans and also almost come out with a win. Yeah, this is going to be an underrated match at Extreme Rules. I'm calling it now. Now it's time for the main event of Monday Night Raw. The triple threat match of Roman Reigns going against Bobby Lashley, going against Biggie. And let me just tell you, this was a great and, I mean, great triple threat match. You had three big guys just straight up just beating down on one another. You had Roman try to dominate, but Roman will always get dominated by Bobby and Big E. And then you had Big E and Lashley just go against one another. And, I mean, just them just slamming each other. And, I mean, you had everything. You even had Bobby Lashley put Biggie through the commentator's, like, announce table on the outside of the ring. I mean, this was a solid, I mean, extremely solid triple threat match between these three men. Roman does get the win, though. Whenever Lashley was beating up on Biggie with the steel chair, he continuously to bash Biggie with the back with the steel chair, and then he raised up the steel chair and was yelling. And as soon as he turned around, he ate a spear from Roman Reigns, and Roman pinned Lashley for the win. And Roman was now the winner of the match. So Roman got two victories on Monday Night Raw and he is the Universal Champion, and he's belongs to SmackDown. So SmackDown basically got a win on Monday Night Raw at the beginning of the show and at the end of the show, meaning that Roman does indeed run WWE, and that's your ending for Monday Night Raw. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up, and you have a list of guys already in the ring. You have Carmelo Hayes, Trick Williams, Odyssey Jones, Braun Breaker, Joe Grey Gacy, Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen already in the ring. And the cameras are looking at those guys in the ring. And then you hear Tommaso Champa's music hits. And he walks out to the ring and he's holding the NXT championship. And now he goes inside the ring and he cuts a promo. Tommaso said that he is glad to let everybody know that he is the NXT champion. He says it's been 900 and some odd days since he's held Goldie in his possessions. Tommaso then decides to give props to the new cup coming wrestlers that's in the ring right now because they have bust their butts in the back, and now is their time to showcase to the world what they got. Tommaso is proud to be a part of NXT, and he is proud to be their champion. Cameron Grimes comes out, and he just straight up, tells Tommaso point blank, he wants a shot at the NXT Championship. LA Knight then comes out and says that he can't stand all of this garbage. And he was about to proceed talking, but Odyssey Jones gets the mic and tells Knight to shut up. And that he lost twice last week, so he has nothing to say. Then you get Pete Dunne and Rich Holland coming out, and they get in the ring. Pete tells them that they need to make a name for themselves. And then he says that they won't do that because he sees nothing but a bunch of geezers in the ring. Ultimately, this leads to a huge brawl with everybody in the ring. And even certain people coming from the back and getting into the ring just to get into this brawl, like the Grizzly Young veterans. Zach Gibson and his other homie, By Guy, I can't remember his name right now, but you know who I'm talking about. They get in there just to help out and just brawl out with everybody. But the last four men that were left in the ring were Braun Breaker, Tommaso Champa, Pete Dunn, and Rich Holland. Braun and Champa throw out Pete Dunn and Rich Holland and Braun gets the mic, and he makes a challenge to Pete and Ridge for them to have a tag team match against himself and Ciampa later tonight. Pete Dunn accepts, so now we have our main event for NXT tonight. It will be Braun Breaker and the NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa, going against Pete Dunn and Ridge Holland. After this, we get our first in-ring match of the night. It's for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. It is Kushida defending the championship against Roderick Strong and in his corner, the whole Diamond Mine camp in his corner. Roderick Strong does beat Kushida to become the new Cruiserweight Champion. The way Roddy wins the match is whenever Malcolm Bivens does get on the ring apron to distract the referee, and the Creed Brothers pull Kushida out of the ring, and this allows Ivy now to run off the steel steps and hit a Superman punch on Kushida. And then the Creed Brothers throw Kushida back into the ring, and Roderick hits a jumping-high knee to Kashida and hits Kashida with the end of heartache to end the match and pin him to win the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. After the match, though, Grayson Waller comes out and says he wants a shot at Roderick Strong next week. Malcolm Bivens tells Grayson how dare he come out and ruin Strong's moment. And he tells Grayson, matter of fact, hold on there, playboy. I ask Strong. Malcolm and Strong talk to one another for a brief second and Malcolm gets back on the mic and tells him he better be careful what he wished for because Diamond Mind's going to give him something next week. So, Malcolm Bivens ultimately accepts Strong's, uh, well, Grace's offer to face Strong for the Cruiserweight Championship next week. After this, we get a video package of Tony D'Angelo playing, and basically Tony D'Angelo's character for NXT is that he's a mobster, and that's about it. As it is, we get another video package playing, and this time it's from Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen, and about how this team came together. The main point of how this team came together was whenever Josh Briggs was eliminated from the NXT breakout tournament, he went to a bar, and some guy bumped into him, and he knew, as soon as that guy, as soon as Josh turned around, he punched that guy, and the guys happened to be Brooks Jensen. Those two fought each other, and they say where they came from, after you guys are able to fight... Somebody that you dislike, you guys are able to shake each other's hands and then get a drink. So these two guys are supposed to be country strong bunking guys. After this, we get now it's time for ring competition of Kaylee Ray going against Amari Miller. Kaylee beats Amari by pinfall whenever she hits the KLR bomb on Amari and pins her for the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Braun Breaker. Braun says he is excited to be stepping in the ring with three of the best wrestlers in NXT. And that Tommaso Ciampa is his tag partner. Tommaso then walks up to him. And asks Braun is he ready to swim in the deep end. Braun says he's ready since he has the champ as his tag partner. And that's the end of that segment. We go back to the ring competition. It's Trey Baxter going against Dante Chen. This was Dante's first match in NXT. And he is the first Singapore-born wrestler Signed to WWE. Dante wins the match by pinfall when his trade Baxter with a modified version of the wing clipper. And it's basically like a net, neck breaker or some type. I can't really like pronounce the correct word for this neck breaker. The only thing you know is that it's a neck breaker. And if you look at the wing clipper, if you go to YouTube and type in Andrew Garza wing clipper, you understand exactly what the move looks like. But instead of him holding his arms... Just imagine uh, the guy putting his arm around the dude's neck and then dropping down. So, basically a net breaker still. Anyway, after this, we get a video of Andre Chase. He's holding a lesson at the Andre Chase University. He talks about Odyssey Jones losing in the finals of the breakout tournament. He shows his students how Odyssey Jones had a lackluster pin and that one made him lose the match by not covering up... uh. Carmelo Hayes' legs, and Carmelo was able to counter out of this. Andre is focusing on Odyssey because Odyssey forced Andre to sit down during the wedding of Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis last week because Andre was about to say why these two shouldn't be together, but Odyssey sat Andre down. After this, we get Joe Gacy, who's sitting in the ring. He talks about the wrestling ring being a place for wrestlers to settle their issues the wrestling ring is a safe place for the wrestlers. Joe Gacy's character is one of a therapist type of character, and I don't, I think, that's at least the way that Joe Gacy was portrayed himself, only time will tell. But anyway, after he does his whole little monologue of speech about what the ring is all about, Cameron Grimes come out there and is scheduled for Cameron Grimes to go against Joe Gacy. Cameron Grimes does beat Joe Gacy by pinfall when he hits the cave-in, which is a double foot stomp, on Joe Gacy and covers him for the pinfall. Covers him for the win. After the match, Joe Gacy wants to shake Cameron Grimes' hands. But Grimes declines. So Joe Gacy then goes in for a hugs. And hugs Grimes. And Grimes was able to push off of Gacy. And Gacy rolls out of the ring. And then looks at Grimes and gives him a thumbs up. And walks to the back. After this, it's time for another in-ring competition. This time it's a women's division match. It is Electra Lopez with... Legato del Fantasma in her corner going against Anna Shear. Electra beats Anna by pinfall when Electra hits a float over suplex and then hits a side powerbomb for the win. After the match, Santos tells Electra that she is the last piece of the remaining puzzle and she completes the puzzle for Legato del Fantasma. Electra calls herself the First Lady of Legato. And she says that this is just a taste of what B-Fab and the rest of the NXT Women's Division has coming to them. Electra then calls out B-Fab, and as she calls out B-Fab, Hit Row comes out. However, each member is out there except for B-Fab. B-Fab hits the sneaky tip on Electra. She gets into the ring and she attacks Electra from behind. And now you have B-Fab and Electra fighting in the ring, and then they start rolling around in the ring. And they let this go for a good couple seconds until Isaiah Swerve Scott pulls B-Fab out of the ring. And it's announced that next week on NXT, it will be Electra Lopez going against B-Fab in a no-disqualification match. I can't wait to see that because, again, b Fab's is a little bit green. And letting her use weapons, a.k.a. a kendo stick or even a steel chair. And you know Hit Row and you know Legado DeFataz was going to be interjecting themselves in it. You know it's at least going to be a solid match. So I can't wait for that next week. After this, we go backstage and we have Trey Baxter sitting down. And then we have Cora Jade coming up to him and asking him what's wrong. He tells her, didn't you see my match? Cora tells Trey not to worry about it. But Trey isn't trying to hear this. Cora tells him, how long have we been together? And she says that it's okay. I've seen you like this before. And trust me, you're going to be all right. She gives him a kiss. And then she walks out of there and she tells him, don't worry about it. You're going to be okay." After this, we go backstage and Frankie Monet and Robert Stone are walking towards Mr. Regal's office. However, they are stopped by Raquel Gonzalez and Raquel informs Frankie Monet that they will wrestle next week for the NXT Women's Championship. And Frankie says that's exactly the reason why she was going to walk to William Regal. And she tells Raquel, don't worry about it. Just keep that belt shiny for me next week. So when I take it off of you and that's into that segment. Now we go back to the ring competition. We have Odyssey Jones going against two guys that I didn't care to even get their names. Because they their names don't matter. Andre Chase is, comes out to look at Odyssey Jones throughout this whole entire match. Odyssey wins the match when he hits a splash from the second turnbuckle. And covers both of them for the win. Again, this match was nothing but a squash. And is basically to give Odyssey Jones some reps for whenever he does face uh, Andre Chase and Andre is a experienced wrestler. Odyssey is not. He's still a rookie. So, again, this is just giving him some more reps. However, after the match, though, Andre does come into the ring and tries to hit Odyssey with a steel chair. But Odyssey was able to catch the chair. And as soon as he catches it, he breaks the chair. This has Andre shook and he rolls out of the ring. And this is telling you that Odyssey Jones will be going against Andre Chase sometime down the line. And once he does, he's going to break Andre Chase. Now we go backstage and we have Grayson Waller and he's talking to two dudes about his championship opportunity that he has next week. And we then get Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams walking up on Grayson and informs him that even though he has a chance to win the title next week, he might lose it to Carmelo next week thanks to the NXT breakout tournament opportunity. Then we get Mandy, Rose, Gigi and JC Jane walking across Carmelo and Trick Williams and they stop and say, those girls look fine. And they just constantly look at them as they're walking away and they're walking towards the ring. They do their whole entrance and they walk into the ring. Now it's time for their in-ring promo. This trio, this three woman unit is called Toxic Attraction. Their whole reasoning for coming together is because they are tired of being overlooked and thrown away as just novel, not even novelties, but just throwaway pieces of the NXT Women's Division. So they had enough of this. Mandy talks about how when she first came to NXT, she was here to be a gift to the fans. But when she got hurt, the fans threw her away like it was nothing, just like they did with Gigi and JC. So now they come together just to put a damper, and take over the women's division. J.C. and Gigi throw out a challenge towards Eos Rai and Zoe Stars for the NXT Women's Championships, and that's how they end their whole in-ring promo. They Now we go to a backstage shot of Eos Rai and Zoe Stars looking at this, and they are immediately interviewed and asked about do they accept their challenge. Eos accepts the challenge on behalf of the team, and next week on NXT television, we will get Eos Rai... Zoe Starks going against Gigi Dolan and J.C. Jane for the NXT Women's Championship. After this, it's now time for the main event of NXT. Braun Breaker and Tomasa Ciampa going against Pete Dunne and Rich Holland. Braun Breaker and Ciampa win the match when Rich Holland had his billy club in hand and he was about to get in the ring, but was stopped by Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly takes the billy club away from Rich Holland, hits him in the gut with it, and then throws him in the ring, which allows Braun Breaker to hit a Gorilla Press Slam, well, a Gorilla Press Power Slam on Rich Holland, cover him up for the win. Now, you may be asking yourself, didn't the referee see Kyle O'Reilly interfere in the match? No, the referee didn't see him interfere because he was distracted by Tommaso Chapman, and Pete Dunne fighting over on the opposite side of the ring, and Tommaso Chapman hitting the Widow's, Willow's Bell on Pete Dunne. After the match, though, Braun Breaker does grab the NXT Championship from the referee and looks at it and holds it for a little bit. Tommaso sees this. He tries to grab the NXT Championship away from Braun, but Braun holds on to the championship. Tommaso then hits a smile on his face because he knows what Braun is doing, and he gives him the brotherly like, kind of slaps on the neck and quickly grabs the NXT Championship away from Braun. And Braun looks at Tommaso, and he looks at the NXT Championship. Well, then Tommaso grabs Braun's arm and they raise each other's hands in victory because they won their tag team match at the end of NXT. And that's how you end NXT with a definitive look at your next main event of NXT for the NXT championship. Not next week, but whenever they do it, you know, there's going to be the main event of Braun Breaker going against Tommaso for the NXT championship. But that's just somewhere down the line. But again, that was NXT. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. And AEW Dynamite starts off literally with the main event. Brian Danielson going against Kenny Omega in what people call an instant classic. The Dream Match. And you know what? This, in my personal opinion, was AEW's response to Raw starting with literally their main event. The six-man tag match of The Usos and Roman going against The New Day. This was basically AEW's equivalent. You had two matches that fans were looking forward to throughout this whole week, and they both start off in the beginning of respective programs. Bryan Danielson and Kenny Omega, they had an instant classic. You had Kenny Omega chopping Danielson in his chest and making his chest red. You have Danielson kicking Kenny Omega, making his chest red. I mean, they were just throwing hits. I mean, they were throwing bombs at each other. You even had Brian Danielson breaking out the cattle mutilation on Kenny Omega. And then you had Kenny Omega hitting a V-trigger on Brian Danielson, but not any ordinary V-trigger. Oh no, 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 no. He went up the ramp onto the stage while Brian Danielson is kneed kneeled down on the outside of the ring. He goes up the stage, starts going up, and then runs all the way down. To leap, it hit a flying V trigger to Brian Danielson. This match goes to a complete no—I mean, it goes to a time limit draw. It was thirty minutes, so they wrestled throughout that whole thirty-minute process. I mean, if you can go back, go and watch this match. This is one I'm really plur- Like I'm really, really telling you, please watch this match so you can understand the importance and how bad these two really put on a in real instant classic of a match. But anyway, this match goes to a time limit draw. But after the bell rings, you still have Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson still fighting each other, and Brian Danielson gets the better of it by locking in the La Lock. But he didn't lock it in all the way because as soon as he was about to clinch his f- fingers all across Omega's face, you have the Super Click, which consists of Adam Cole and the Young Bucks coming down to pull Brian Danielson off of Kenny Omega, and then you have security run so you have the Super Click, and Don Callis looking at Omega and checking on him to see if he's okay. Then you have personnel checking on Brian Danielson to make sure he's fine because they just went through a complete brawl. They went through a complete instant classic of a match. They went through completely just they were just exhausted. And as the personnel is checking on Brian Danielson, you see the Super Click looking at Danielson. And they super kicked him directly in his face. And they were about to do more damage to Brian Danielson, but this led to Jurassic Express and Christian Cage coming down to the ring and fighting the Super Click to get them away from Brian Danielson. They were effective in this, which made Omega and the Super kick fleeing to the back, and that was the end of this match. This match was just pure awesomeness. There's no other way I could say this. I, please, 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 go back and watch this. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. If you love professional wrestling, go watch this. You're not going to be disappointed. After this, we get an in-ring promo from CM Punk. He first thing that comes out of his mouth is he gives props to Omega and Danielson for that match that they just had. He straight up says, man, I'm glad I'm not wrestling on Dynamite tonight. How do you follow that? Which also leads me to something that I want to talk about after I'm done giving the results for AEW Dynamite for this. I really do. He gives props to Omega Danielson, and then he goes straight to business. He talks about getting attacked by Team Taz last week, and he mentions how much he loves professional wrestling again. He talked about how he came out and he was supposed to be mean mugging, but as soon as his music hits and he hears the fans just get excited and everything, he can't mean mug. He has to crack a smile and start... Just enjoying this feeling. He hasn't felt this feeling in years. So now that he's back, he needs this feeling. He needs professional wrestling. And he's mad that Team Taz tried to take this feeling. They tried to take the fans. They tried to take this joy away from CM Punk. And he says at Rampage, he's going to put Powerhouse Hobbs to sleep. So Punk was out here to, one, give props to Omega Danielson for the match that he just had, and two, to hype up his match with Powerhouse Hobbs on AEW Rampage this upcoming uh, Friday. When you hear about it, it just happened last night. After this, you get MJF with Warlow in his corner going against Brian Pillman Jr. with Julia Hart in his corner. MJF beats Brian Pillman Jr. by submission, and this happens when... Pillman goes mid-air to try to hit the Air Pillman, which is basically a springboard clothesline. But MGF catches him and locks him into the saw of the earth, which is an armbar. And Pillman has no other choice but to tap out. AEW has made MGF a made man. I want you to think about this. MJF comes in as the biggest bad guy on AEW's roster. Everybody already knows him as being a complete jerk from the Independence that everybody's looking forward to see when he's on television. He's not on television as much, and when he's on television, he is the main focal point. He has a lot of airtime. He doesn't really wrestle on television, and when he wrestles, it's for big events. MJF's character is perfectly placed out as a legitified main eventer, and he's placed literally after CM Punk's promo. And after the Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega match, that tells you that MGF is a main man in AEW. AEW has plans for MGF in the future. So if people think that MGF losing to Chris Jericho was a bad thing, hey, nobody's going to care about that. Trust me, nobody's going to care about it. People are just going to be looking forward to MGF's in uh, future in AEW for whenever he becomes a world champion, or if anything, the TNT champion, but we're all looking forward to him being the world champion of AEW. I'm just going to be blunt with it. After this match, we get a backstage interview with Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. They're there to promote their match against the Men of the Year on Rampage. They tell Dan Lambert to bring whoever he wants from America Top Team so they all can get a beat down as well on Rampage. After this, we get the match of Malachi Black going against Cody Rose, but Cody Rose has Arn Anderson and his wife, Brandi Rose, in his corner. Malachi beats Cody by pinfall, and this happens when Cody checks on Arn Anderson after Malachi Black sends Cody into Arn, was on the ring apron, whenever Malachi throws Cody into Arn Anderson Arn Anderson falls to the ground. Cody goes over to check on Arn Anderson and Arn pushes Cody off and tells him to go and continue to fight. So Cody does that. He goes and he walks around to the opposite side of the ring where Malachi is on the ground and Cody picks him up and throws him back into the ring. Cody is now attacking Malachi who's right next to the turnbuckles. He's hitting him in the gut. He's just throwing punches left and right. The referee has to separate Cody because Cody isn't following the, uh, the count that every wrestler has to the count of five to get away from their opponent. And the referee separates Cody, and this gives Malachi Black enough time to spit Black Mist into Cody's face, and they quickly roll him up for the pin and win the match. So Malachi is 2-0 against Cody, and also during this match, the fans were booing the loving God out of Cody. It started at his entrance. Yes, you had some cheers, but you were able to hear the boos. But after the music and all the pomp and circumstances were done, once the match began, you start hearing the fans cheering for black. And then every time Cody would take advantage and get like any type of grandstanding in this match, any type of advantage in this match, the fans were just booing Cody, completely booing. I'm personally saying it now. This is Cody's come-to-Jesus moment. And Cody in the match even had times that he would stop and just listen to the fans as they will boo him. I mean, he was beating up down on Black, and he would just stop and just look at the fans. So this is Cody's come-to-Jesus moment right here. He's going to talk about it either next week or two weeks from now. I promise you he's going to come on AEW Dynamite, and he's going to have this big old spiel and questioning why the fans are turning on him now. Did he do something wrong? What did he do? There's going to be some type of reflection that Cody's going to have to have in that ring. And we're going to get a darker side of Cody. It's happening. It's coming. Because if it doesn't happen, I don't know what to say. Cody hasn't hit that John Cena level yet that he can't turn because of Make-A-Wish Foundation stuff yet. But I'm telling you, Cody is going to have to make a change. At least that's in my personal opinion. I think that's going to happen. But we'll have to see within these weeks coming. After this, they air a video package of Miro and Sammy Guevara to hype up their match next week on Dynamite for the TNT Championship. Miro says that he knows why Sammy Guevara is coming after him now, because he knows that Sammy sees the chink in Miro's armor, which is basically his neck, and how everybody has constantly attacked his neck. But Miro says Sammy isn't going to have the opportunity to go and try to beat up on him and attack him on his neck, because God has healed his neck, and his wife has healed his neck. So, Miro is going to do everything he can to please his God and his wife by retaining his TNT Championship. Sammy ends the, his little side of the hype package by saying that he's going to beat Miro and win the TNT Championship, and he's going to celebrate it by buying Fuego a new car. After this, we get another in-ring competition. It is FTR with Tully Blanchard in their corner going against Sting and Darby Allin. Sting and Darby Allen win the match by submission. This happens when Sting has the Scorpion Deathlock applied on Dax Hardwood. And Cash is trying to grab Dax's hands and try to pull him out of the ring. But Darby sees this and he goes to the top rope and he hits the Coffin Drop on the back of Cash Wheeler. So this makes Cash release Dax's hand and Sting is now locking in more aggressively with the Scorpion Deathlock onto Dax. And Dax has no other choice but to tap out. This was a great tag team match, and also FTR came out with NWO uh, ring-inspired gear. So, again, take what you want from that. Again, they are a great tag team. This match was good, and I will implore you to look at this one as well. After this, they play a recap video of the face-to-face that Dr. Britt Baker and Ruby Soho had on AEW Rampage. This is to get fans excited for the main event of the evening. And now it's time for the main event. It is the AEW Women's Championship match, Dr. Britt Baker with Jamie Hader and Rebel in her corner going against Ruby Soho. Britt Baker wins the match by submission. This happens when Ruby was able to hit the No Future, which is the twisting of the arm and ensegurring onto Britt Baker. And then Rebel gets on the ring apron to stop Ruby from covering Britt. So Ruby runs over to Rebel and hits her with the No Future as well. Then Jamie Hader gets on the opposite side of the ring and gets on the ring apron, and Ruby runs over there, and she is about to hit her with the no future, but Jamie was able to pull Ruby by the neck and drop her onto the rope, and Ruby then stumbles towards Britt Baker, and this allows Britt to pull Ruby in and apply the lockjaw in on Ruby Soho. Ruby then has no other choice but to tap out, and that was the end of the match, and To cap off AEW Dynamite, you had Britt Baker in the ring celebrating with Jamie Hayter and Rebel. I wish to God, here's my thing with this. I wish they would have had this match first of the night and then have the Danielson and Omega as the main event. And people might say, Gerald, the AEW women's division needs to be in the main event. They need to be highlighted more and I get it completely. Just hear me out here. Take the reaction that Omega and Danielson got and put it against the reaction that Britt Baker and Ruby Soho got for their match. This is a championship match against a Dream match. I would have put the championship match first because the fans are hot and they're ready to see something because they can't wait for AEW to start at the beginning of the show. So I would have had this match first and let everything else still fall in the place as it was supposed to and just had the Omega and Danielson match at the end because you gave everybody what they wanted to see at the beginning of the show, and now they still got the rest of the show to see, which still had great matches to follow, but you gave them their dynamite, no pun intended for this, but you gave them the dynamite and you blew it up right in their face and you gave them exactly what they wanted at the beginning. And you gave them matches to follow up after that. You hear how I just said that. You gave them what they want at the beginning. And you just gave them matches after that. Matches that were still good. But you gave them the big boom at the beginning. Now Raw, you might say, well, Gerald, Raw did the same thing. Raw did it. But here's where you, here's where it is. Here's where Raw was able to cover, recover from it. They had the big boom at the beginning. But then they were able to follow up. After the big boom, they had Bobby Lashley attacking everybody during and after the match What led up into every single person, whether it be Bobby Lashley or Big E or Paul Heyman going in there and telling Sonia Deville and Anna Pierce that they want somebody at the end of the night and which made them create a main event for Raw at the end of the night being a triple threat match with three of the best guys that WWE have to offer literally at this moment were Big E. Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns in the main event. So you gave them a big boom at the beginning, and you still gave them a big boom at the end. Dynamite, that didn't happen. You gave them a big boom at the beginning, the biggest boom, and you gave them a nice quality match at the end to end Dynamite. If it was me again, and it's still no disrespect to the women. They did what they were supposed to do. It was still a solid match. I would have had them at the beginning because the fans would have reacted way more than they did at the end. Because again, you gave them their big boom at the beginning and you didn't have like a bigger boom to end it off at the night, to cap the night off. So AEW, learn from this. Have your biggest boom at the end and just put your quasi-boom at the beginning. And this is not, again, a hate. Towards the women's division in AEW. I've always been saying. And you can look back at my past episodes. I've said that AEW division is literally. Close to being the best on the planet. I said give them a couple years. And they will have the best women's roster on the planet. You can look back. I've said this. But this one tonight. They should have been the first match. So they can have the re- reaction. And the type of respect that this match. Earned for. That it yearned for it. While Dynamite. While Omega and Danielson still would have gotten that big boom because people were waiting to see Danielson going against Omega at the end. So, this is just my critique of it. It was still a fine. It was still an excellent dynamite. But, that's just my one critique of it. I would have switched the main event to the beginning of the show. In the beginning show, beginning match, I would have switched that to the main event. The Omega and Danielson, main event and the Britt Baker going against Ruby Soho as a beginning match to give the fans and give the women wrestlers a lot more uh, fanfare than they did at the main event. But again, still solid, solid, solid Dynamite and a solid main event. So that was the end of AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. But before I get to the Impact Wrestling results, I need to talk about Impact Wrestling having a pay-per-view uh, Impact Wrestling Plus event on their app, which was Victory Road, and I'm about to give you the results from Victory Road. There was a triple threat match that to start the show off of Steve Macklin going against TJP, going against PD Williams. Steve Macklin beat TJP and Petey Williams by pinfall when Macklin was able to hit Mayhem for All, which is basically reverse 1914 on PD and cover him for the win. After this, you had Laredo kill winning a five man scramble which consists of John Schuyler, Trey Miguel, Jake Something and Black Tall Roos. And Laredo Kid wins this by pinfall whenever he hits the Laredo fly, which is the Spanish fly on John Schuyler and John Schuyler and gets the win. After this you had Taylor Wilde going against Teneil Dashwood and Taylor Wilde beats Teneil by pinfall when Taylor Wilde was able to hit the wild ride, which is a bridging German suplex on Neil and cover her for the win. After that, you have Matt Cardona going against Rohit Raju in a no-disqualification match, and Matt Cardona wins by pinfall when, when Matt Cardona hits the radio silence on Rohit and cover him for the win. After that match, you have Bullet Club's own Chris Bay and Hikaleo beating Juice Robinson and David Finley, FinJuice by pinfall, When the referee wasn't looking, Chris Bay hits Juice Robinson's injured ankle with a chair, which allowed Hikaleo to hit Robinson with a Death Valley driver, and then he covered him for the win. After this, you had another tag team match. You had Moose and W. Morrissey beating the team of Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards by a pinfall, and this happens when Morrissey was able to powerbomb Alicia Edwards, Eddie Edwards' wife, in the ring. And Eddie Edwards then picked up Alicia and brought her backstage, leaving Sammy Callahan to face Moose and Morrissey by himself towards the end of the match. Morrissey was able to hit Sammy Callahan with a big boot, and Moose then hit Sammy with the spear, covered him for the win. That's how Moose and Morrissey win. After that match, you had another tag team match, but this time it was for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. You had Decay, which consists of Rosemary and Havoc beating the team up. Tasha Steeles, and Savannah Evans to retain the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. And this happens when Havoc hits Tasha with a Tombstone Pile Driver and covers her for the win. After that match, you had another tag team match, but this time it was for the Impact Tag Team Championships. It was the Good Brothers beating the team of Rich Juan and Willie Mack to retain their Impact Tag Team Championships. This happens when the Good Brothers hit Willie Mack with the Magic Killer, cover him for the win. There you go. Then you have an X-Division Championship match. You had Josh Alexander beating Chris Saban to retain the X-Division Championship. This happens when Josh Alexander was able to hit the C4 on Chris Saban for the win. And now it's time for the main event of Victory Road. You had Christian Cage retaining his Impact World Championship against Ace Austin. This happens when Christian hits the kill switch on Ace and covers him for the win. And Christian retains his Impact World Championship. After the match, however, Josh Alexander comes down to the ring, grabs a mic, he's face-to-face with Christian, and he tells him that he's cashing in Option C. Now, if you don't know what Option C is, Option C is whenever you're the X Division champion for a good no, a good a uh, couple of months, there was usually a time, and it used to happen at a pay-per-view called Destination X, where the X Division champion, whoever it was at the time, was able to cash in their opportunity to challenged the world champion at the Destination X pay-per-view. This option C was created by Austin Aries a good couple of years ago. Not a couple, but a good eight years ago, I believe, or even longer than that. And they kept option C around, but they haven't used it in a good bit. So I'm glad Josh Alexander did bring this back because Josh Alexander and Christian Cage were on the road to face each other somewhere down the line, and they're doing this now. So that was the end of Victory Rope, so now it's time for me to give you the Impact Wrestling results. Impact starts with Scott Demore in the ring, and he calls out Josh Alexander to the ring. Josh comes down, and Scott tells Josh that if he decides to cash in for option C, he will face Christian for the Impact World Championship at Bound for Glory, and next week on Impact, they will have a tournament to crown a new X Division champion. He wanted to let Josh know this and let him think about does he really want to give up the X Division championship. Christian then comes down to the ring and tells Josh that he shouldn't give up the championship. He tells Josh that he respects him for wanting to be the face of the X Division. But after Bound for Glory, he won't be the face of Impact Wrestling. Josh tells Christian, thank you for making this option much more easier for me. Josh then hands over the title to Scott Demore, and that makes it official. At Bound for Glory, we would get Josh Alexander going against Christian Cage for the Impact World Championship. After this happened, we get Ace Austin and Madman Fulton coming down to the ring. Ace tells Josh that Josh is obsessed with him. Ace mentions that whenever he was the X Division champion, Josh followed him until he became X Division champion. And now that Ace is going after the World Championship, Here comes Josh following him again. Ace tells Josh that he's disappointed that Josh gave up the X Division championship so easily because Josh always wanted to be the greatest X Division champion, and now he's just giving away the X Division championship right to Scott Demore. Ace says he wouldn't have done that. He would have been a proud champion. Josh cuts him off and says, you didn't have the opportunity to do what I'm doing right now because I took the title off of you. Remember that? And that's whenever Madman Fulton hits Josh with a big boot, and now you get a brawl ensues. You get Christian and Josh fighting Madman Fulton and Ace Austin. Christian does get hit in the eye by Ace Austin's staff, and this is when Fulton and Ace now decides to leave the ring, and Christian is holding his eye, and Josh Alexander is just looking at Christian, trying to comfort him. Now we go backstage and there's a backstage interview with Rich Juan and Willie Mack. During the interview, Willie Mack mentions that he is entering himself into the Exhibition Tournament starting next week. And Rich Swan mentions that he is entering himself into the Call Your Shot Gauntlet at Bound for Glory. They are then interrupted by Brian Myers and his Learning Tree. That's his group of flunkies. Brian tells Swan that he is also entering himself into the Call Your Shot Gauntlet. And Rich tells Brian to find himself a partner and meet Mac and himself in the ring later tonight for a tag team match. And Brian accepts. So after this, we get in-ring competition of Hikaleo with Chris Bay in his corner, going against David Finley with Juice Robinson in his corner. David Finley beats Hikaleo by pinfall when he makes Hikaleo fall down behind him whenever David Finley was kneeled down and he uh, caught Hikaleo res- uh, responding, rebounding off the Ropes and David was able to quickly roll up Hikaleo for the win, and that's how David Finley gets the win over Hikaleo. After the match, however, Hikaleo attacks Finley, and Chris Bay starts attacking Juice. And so, you know, you got both these teams attacking one another, and Finch Juice ends up getting the better of Hikaleo and Chris Bay. They even had Chris Bay set up for the Doomsday device, but out of nowhere, Elphantasmo comes down, and he gets on the ring apron and push David Finley off the top turnbuckle. So, and this allows Juice Robinson to get hit by El Phantasmo in the family jewels whenever Chris Bay was holding Juice Robinson up so El-, El-, El Phantasmo could hit him in the jewels. After this, Chris Bay then turns Juice Robinson around and hits him with a spinning knee to the face. And now you have Drew Robinson laid out in the ring. You have Hikaleo throw David Finley back into the ring. And you have Hikaleo and Chris Bay now holding Finley by his arms. And this allows El Phantasmo to hit a super kick onto David Finlay, which lays him out. So now you have El Fantasmo, Hikaleo, and Chris Bay, all three members of Bullet Club, coming together to do the two sweet signs. After this, we get a video package from Violence by Design, and its main focus is Eric Young is talking to Rhino, but Rhino's not there, so he's talking towards the camera, and he's talking like he's talking to Rhino. Eric says that Rhino understands that violence is the only thing sickness understands, and that Rhino can learn from his past mistakes, meaning failure inside of Violence by Design. He says that once you join Violence by Design, you can't quit. This isn't a fad. So Eric tells Rhino that he has a decision to make and that they want his answer next week. So my idea is that Rhino has a decision of whether he is sticking with Violence by Design and taking that beat down as just a lesson in hardship, or he'll be quitting and leaving the group, and he'll probably have to face some consequences from Eric Young and the rest of Violence by Design. But we will have to see what happens next week. After this, we get a backstage interview with Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green. Matt says that he is a man of his word, and after he beat Rohit at Victory Road, he's done with Rohit. However, Chelsea has to interrupt and says that she isn't done with Rohit, and now she wants her retribution for getting kneed in the face and beat by Rohit Raju a couple of weeks ago. So that's what's coming to happen sooner than later. After this, we get a video plays of Sue Young with Kimberly and Brandy Lauren. Both of the women look like undead brides. They give Sue Young a offering, and it's a red belt. It's the belt that they took off one of Johnny Swinger's girls that they attacked last week and abducted on Impact Wrestling, meaning that they probably like devoured her, and now they're giving her Sue Young a uh, something to remind her of the girl. After this, we now it's time for in ring competition of Chelsea Green with Matt Cardona in her corner to go get Rohit Raju. Rohit ends up beating Chelsea by pinfall, and this happens with Rohit is pinning Chelsea, and he has has his hands on the ropes, and Matt Cardona goes over and throws Rohit's hands off the ropes. This distraction allows Chelsea to get up and almost hit her version of the kill switch on Rohit, but. A guy named Rod Singh, who was Rohit's tag team partner a good two years ago on Impact Wrestling, comes down and throws Matt Cardona into the ring post. Now, once Chelsea sees this, she's distracted by this, and this gives Rohit the nicest possibility to hurry up and quickly roll Chelsea Green up with a schoolboy pin and get her for the win. After this, they play a video of Alicia getting powerbombed by Morrissey at V3 Road, And now they go into present time of Eddie Edwards pacing back and forth in a hallway. And he talks about more she's going to learn about what happens when you hurt his wife. Sammy tells Eddie to stop his moaning and complaining and let's hurt them. Eddie is cool with this idea. So Sammy tells the cameraman to follow him and Eddie as they walk away. They end up finding Moose all by himself in a room and they just start beating him up. They beat him up with a Kindle stick and a bat. And now Sammy has Moose choking out with the bat. And Eddie goes up to Moose and asks him, where's Morrissey? Moose tells him he doesn't know where Morrissey is. Eddie isn't trying to hear this. And Sammy constantly applies more pressure to it. And Moose tells him, listen, I don't know where he is. I don't keep tabs on him. So they let go of Moose. And they said they are now on the hunt to find Morrissey. So now we go back to in-ring competition. Now it's time for the tag team match of Rich Swan and Willie Mack going against Brian Myers with the Learning Tree by his corner and one of his protégés, VSK. Rich Swan and Willie Mack win the match by pinfall. This happens when Rich Swan is on the top turnbuckle and members of the Learning Tree are trying to stop Rich from doing some type of maneuver off the top turnbuckle. Rich was able to fight all of them off until... Sam Beal gets on the bring a print and throws him off the top turnbuckle onto VSK. However, Rich was able to turn this into a crossbody onto VSK and cover VSK for the win. So now you have the learning tree. More specifically, Brian Myers looking at Sammy, not Sammy, but Sam Beal. like he messed up. And now we'll probably have to see Sam Beal probably pay for this next week on impact. Then we go backstage and we see Mickey James walking backstage as she's heading towards the ring. So, Mickey has something to say on her mind. Then we get a video of the Good Brothers who are on vacation. They toot their own horn by saying they are the best tag team in the world. They list off the challenges that they have beaten. They mention the Dark Order. They mention Rich Swann and Willie Mack. They mention Decay. They mention Violence by Design. I mean, they mention who they mention because they're the tag team to beat right now. And it seems like they're leading towards a certain team. And I'm not sure if it's going to be the Gorillas of Destiny. Because they mentioned that they beaten teams from AEW. And they mentioned that they beaten teams from Impact Wrestling. They never said that they mentioned uh, teams from New Japan. But they could have said Finn Juice. But they didn't. But Gorillas of Destiny is more likely their next challengers for the Impact Championships. That's just my best getting best. Betting odds, but I'll have to check in on that because the G1 is happening in Japan, and I'm not sure if that schedule will coincide with the schedule of Bound for Glory, but I'll check up on that and I'll give you guys some type of response probably next week. After this, we get an in ring promo from Mickey James. Mickey calls out Deanna Peraza. Deanna Peraza comes out and she has her knockouts championship and she has her AAA uh, women's championship. On both of her uh, shoulders, Mickey James is in the ring, and Diana prazo comes down. and Diana tells Mickey, "How dare she attack her last week?" Mickey says, "That's a receipt for attacking her at NWA 73." Mickey then makes a challenge to Diana Perrazzo for a match at Bound for Glory for the Knockouts Championship. Diana tells Mickey that she isn't going to fight Mickey. She knows why Mickey wants to fight her. Everybody wants to fight Deanna Peraza right now because Deanna is the most talked about woman's wrestler right now on the planet that if she's not signed to WWE, Deanna is basically untouchable. Deanna says that if she were to accept this match, this has nothing in it for Deanna. She mentions to Mickey that there's a hierarchy in impact and Mickey has to earn her match to get to Deanna Peraza. So Deanna then tries to walk away from Mickey, but Mickey grabs her by the arm and pushes her. Deanna then throws her belts down and gets into Mickey's face. Mickey slaps Deanna across the face twice, and now you get a brawl between Deanna Peraza and Mickey James. Security comes in and separates the two, and then you have Scott Demore coming onto the ramp. Scott Demore tells everybody that wrestlers don't get to make their matches around here, but they also don't get to decline them as well. So Scott then makes the executive decision that Deonna will face Mickey James for the knockouts championship at Bound for Glory. We go backstage now and Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan do happen to find W. Morrissey. They they are then stopped by security and Scott Demore before they're even able to touch Morrissey. Scott informs them that they're not going to do this back here and they're not going to do this tonight. And that next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be a street fight between W. Morrissey and Eddie Edwards. More than likely, we're probably going to get Moose and Sammy Callahan coming in there just to bust up everything. But that should be a fun uh, street fight to see. After this, we get a backstage interview with Gail Kim. And she talks about how Knockouts will have a night of their own on the Impact Plus uh, app, which will be called the Knockouts Knockdown. And Gail announces that there will be an eight-woman tournament, and that four of the women will be from Impact, and four of the other women will come from the rest of the wrestling world. And that the winner of the tournament will get a shot at the Knockouts Championship somewhere down in the future. The influence, which consists of Madison Rain, Tenille Dashwood, and Caleb with the K, interrupt Gail Kim and tell Gail that the influence should face the Knockouts Tag Team Champions at that event. Gail says that's a good idea, but for them to do that, they have to face Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering next week in a number one contenders match, and the u Influence are okay with this idea. So now it's time for the Impact Wrestling main event of Ace Austin with Men Fulton in their corner going against Josh Alexander. Josh wins the match by pinfall, and this happens when Josh was able to counter Ace Austin's The Fold, which is a running blockbuster, and turn it into a powerbomb backbreaker, then he was able to hit Ace Austin with the C4, cover him for the win. After the match, Madman Fulton comes in and attacks Josh, and Madman Fulton and Ace Austin are now beating up on Josh Alexander until Christian Cage comes from the back, runs down, and helps out Josh to beat up both Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. Josh then turns to Christian and turns him around and tells him he doesn't need his help and now you get the little spitter-spatter between Josh and Christian, and this gives Ace Austin and Fulton enough time to recover and attack both of them. Ace Austin then has Josh Alexander up in the chokeslam position, and Ace Austin, who's now on the top turnbuckle, and he's about to hit the fold, which is a combination of both of their moves together. But music hits, and the Titantron hits, and it turns into Daniels, and... Out comes Christopher Daniels walking down the ring and going into the ring and he attacks Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. He sends Ace Austin out of the ring and then he starts beating up on Fulton and he's about to lock in the Angel's wings on Fulton, but Ace was able to pull Fulton out of the ring and impact goes off with Daniels, Christian, and Josh Alexander in the ring and Ace Austin and Madman Fulton on the entrance ramp looking at these three wrestlers in the ring. Daniels hasn't been on television, whether it be AEW or any type of wrestling program, since SCU lost to the Young Bucks. And this is, be, this is Christopher Daniels' first time on television in a long period of time. i give it, what, four months now? Four months? Or even about three since they've been on television? So... Yeah, this is a good significant moment for Daniels to be back on television and for him to be back on Impact Wrestling, which is a company that made him famous and him making Impact famous as well with the likes of Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, America's Most Wanted, Jeff Jarrett, and I mean some other talents. I mean, it's good to have Daniels back in Impact Wrestling, if it's not for a long time, even for the short period of time. It's good to have him here. But anyway, that was Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown starts with a Becky Lynch in-ring promo. Becky Lynch comes out and she mentions how Bianca had a party last week for her getting out of her hometown and making something of herself. Basically, she's referring to Bianca having her uh, homecoming last week in Knoxville, Tennessee. Becky mentions how nobody threw her a party when she came back at SummerSlam and won the championship on short times notice. She mentioned how Bianca had to prove she was the better woman when she held onto Becky Lynch's arm last week. She was mentioning whenever Bianca held onto her arm last week and didn't let go. And Becky mentions how she had no other choice but to throw the first punch last week when Bianca didn't let go of her arm. Becky mentions how this is the jungle. It's hit or be hit. You have to either survive or be eaten, which she meant. Bianca then comes out and mentions how Becky did beat her at SummerSlam, and she did embarrass her last week in front of her family and friends, but Bianca mentions how, yeah, she lost at SummerSlam, but she didn't know it was going to be Becky that she was going to face at SummerSlam because originally she was supposed to face Sasha Banks, but Sasha didn't make it or whatever type of thing happened, and Becky had to be the substitute. They do a little back and forth They do their whole little catty back and forth deal. In the end, um, Bianca extends her hand out for Becky to shake her hand, basically meaning the best woman's going to win at Extreme Rules. Becky doesn't shake Bianca's hand. Oh, no. She slaps her across the face. I mean, a dead old cold slap. And Bianca just rubs her face. She then turns her head and looks at Becky and runs straight towards Becky. She pins Becky against the turnbuckles, and they just start throwing trading shots with each other. Becky ends up getting the better of this, and she's about to hit the slam like she did last week. But Bianca was able to counter out of it and hit the KOD, the kiss of death, on Becky Lynch. After this, Bianca does leave the ring, showing Becky Lynch laid out with her SmackDown Women's Championship. After this, it's time for our first match of the night. It is the Intercontinental Championship match between the champion Shinsuke Nakamura, with In his corner, Rick Boogs, going against the challenger, Apollo Crews, and in his corner, Commander Aziz. Nakamura pins Apollo to retain the Intercontinental Championship. This happens when Apollo went for the angle slam, but Nakamura was able to counter it and turn it into an armbar, but a pinning position armbar for the win. After this, they play a Raw recap of Roman Reigns being the guy on Raw, meaning they show the six-man tag team match of the Bloodline going against the Usos, and then after that, they show the main event of Roman Reigns being in the main event all Raw against Big E and Bobby Lashley, showing that Roman Reigns is truly the guy that runs WWE. After this, they show a backstage interview of Montez Ford. Montez Ford is asked about their tag team championship match with the Usos at Extreme Rules. Montez mentions that he's here alone because Dawkins is at a we- wedding And Montez says that Roman Reigns has been running the Usos ragged and they have become Roman's female dogs. That word. So Montez states that at Extreme Rules they will be able to get back their tag team championships because the Street Profits are up and they want the smoke. short and simple. Then we go to Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman in Roman's locker room. Roman is sitting in his chair and Roman asks Paul, what did Montez just say? And Paul says that Montez just called the greatest tag team, the Bloodlines Female Dogs. Roman is now irate, and he tells Paul straight up that he wants Montez Ford in the main event tonight. Paul looks at Roman and tells him, that's a bad idea because you have to face the undefeated demon at Extreme Rules, but before he can even finish that sentence, Roman looks at him with a straight disdain look on on his face, and Paul says, Quickly says, Okay, I will make the match happen. They go to commercial and after they come back from commercial, we get Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville walking backstage and who comes right up to him? Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman comes up to him and Adam tells Paul that they are not going to tell him where Brock is going to be drafted next week on the draft. Paul tells him that he isn't here for that. And he lays out the main event for them, Montez Ford going against Roman Reigns later tonight. And they said they can make that happen. Paul says that's good. Paul walks away, but he quickly walks back towards him and says, after this match, though, we could talk about the draft. So this tells you that Paul still wants to pull the strings on where Brock is going to be going. And he wants to know where Brock is so he can either, A, cover his hide, or either, B, get him sent off to Raw so he won't have to face his new golden ticket, Roman Reigns. After this, we get a video package of Seth Rollins talking about him wanting to face Edge one more time. Basically, to showing the video of Seth Rollins last week in the ring. Now, after this, we get a backstage promo from Seth Rollins himself. He says it's been seven days since he laid down the challenge to Edge. And Rollins says it's okay because the silence is deafening, meaning that Edge hasn't said nothing in these past seven days. But Rawls quickly changes his tune and says that he wants an answer and tells Edge that he will show up on SmackDown next week and he will get in the ring and tell people the truth. that I am not Edge Light, that I am superior to you in every single way, and that I am the man responsible for ending your career. Now, you can choose not to do that if you'd like, but I will not be made a liar of. I will find you where you sleep, and I will beat those words out of you in front of your wife, in front of your children. (laughs) Choice is yours. I know you'll make the right one. (laughs) After this, now it's time for in-ring competition. Liv Morgan going against Zelina Vega. Before the match starts, though, Carmella does come down to the ring to join commentary. Selena beats Liv Morgan by a pinfall. This happened when Liv grabs Carmilla by her hair because Carmella was distracting Liv, but in the process of doing this, Selena hits Liv with a big boot to the face. This sets her up for Liv to be hit with the code read by Selena and pinned her to give her the win. After this, we now have our Happy Talk segment, which is basically Happy Corbin's talk show. And his first guest for the talk show is himself. He talks about a lot of crap, about how much money he has, about how now he's wearing custom suits again. Now he's eating fine food again and yada, yada, yada. And then he talks about why he's also happy. And then he shows a a video of him attacking Kevin Owens last week when he was supposed to have a match with KO before their match began. After the video plays, Corbin talks some more stuff about Kevin Owens until Kevin decides to come out. And Kevin Owens is looking upset and pissed, and he starts walking directly to the ring with a purpose. But as soon as he hits the ringside area, he gets rushed by a mysterious man in a black hood, and the guy hits him with a shoulder tackle. And as soon as the mysterious guy turns towards the camera, you see the man's face, and it's Riddick Moss. For you guys that don't know who Riddick Moss is, and even fans that watch WWE, you still know who Riddick Moss is. He's a former 24-7 champion last year. He also showed up on Raw Underground last year, but other than that he hasn't had memorable uh, matches or memorable moments throughout WWE. He's going to be used as another guy to prop up for Corbin like they did last year with Corbin when he was King Corbin and he had uh, Wesley Blake and Steve Macklin, who's now known as Steve Macklin Impact, but in WWE he's known as Steve Cutler. There it is. And he was supposed to be the Uh, King Corbin's, like, not gestures, but, like, front guards before you can get to King Corbin, you had to get to them. This is probably going to be another one of those situations here. Anyway, to end this off, Happy Corbin and Riddick Moss hits a double-choke slam on Kevin Owens on steel steps. And Kevin Owens is in agonizing pain, and Happy Corbin and Riddick Moss both smile and laugh away as Kevin Owens is now in excruciating pain. After this, we go backstage, and we get to see Montez Ford, who is doing squats, but he's interrupted by Caleb Braxton. She asks him, does he regret saying what he said earlier about the Usos and Roman Reigns? Montez says no. This is an instance where his big mouth got him an opportunity to fight the Universal Champion Roman Reigns, so he wouldn't change this at all. But he does wish that Dawkins was here, though. But anyway, Montez mentions that he is here and he wants the smoke. After this, we go back to the ring. Now it's time for a ring competition again. Nikki A.S.H. with her partner, Rhea Ripley, the newly crowned Women Tag Team Champions going against, well, her, Nikki Ash, going against Natalia with Tamina in her corner. Nikki A.S.H. wins the match by pinfall, and this happens when Tamina was on the ring apron distracting the referee, but Rhea Ripley sees this. She goes over to Tamina and pulls her off the apron. Now you get... Rhea and Tamina fighting, and as the referee is distracted, Natalya rolls up Nikki into an inside cradle pin, but Nikki was able to maneuver it to where Natalia's arms are on the mat and Nikki's on top. So now when the referee turns around, he starts counting the pin, and Nikki wins the match because of this. So Nikki, A-S-H, wins the match, and after the match though, Knox and Shotzi come down to the ring in their tank and they shoot off their like kitty missile at Nikki and Rhea Ripley. And this is basically putting them in line for the next tag team to go against uh Nikki and Rhea for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. Again, I understood what they were doing here, and this is basically nothing but a setup. After this, we go backstage and we see Dominic Mysterio talking to his father, Ray Mysterio, in the locker room. He tells Ray that he is being suffocated by Ray and that he has Same name beat for the past two matches that he had. But if Ray would have just stayed in the back as he was told to, he would have won those matches. Ray hears all this and he tells Dominic that he knows Dominic needs some space for himself. So he's going to separate, put some distance between those two because Dominic isn't thinking straight. As soon as Ray leaves, in comes Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn walks up to Dominic and he tells Dominic, Hey, I'm just here to give you some advice. Listen, you don't have to take it, but I'm just going to give it to you. He tells Dom that every time they have gotten in the ring together, he has gotten better by every other match. And Sami tells Dom that Ray means well, but if Dominic wants to be great, he has to stop listening to his father, Ray, and start listening to his instincts. Almost in the exact same way that Ray Mysterio used to do back in the day, because I guarantee you, he probably had people telling him that style that he was wrestling, like high-flying Lucha Libre style, that you could easily break your bones or something off that. Ray didn't listen to it, so now it's time for Dominic to not pay attention to his father, start going about his guts. Instincts. After this, we go back to the ring, and Naomi comes out, and she's wearing ring gear. But on commentary, they are making it really apparent to let you know that Naomi's not scheduled to wrestle tonight, so they're kind of wondering why Naomi's out here. Naomi grabs a mic, and she says she has been ready for weeks to wrestle, but Sonya Deville keeps on ignoring her. Naomi mentions how she was fined last week after getting in the face of, of Sonya Deville last weekend, telling her that she demands a match on SmackDown. So, Naomi's out here to make a challenge to any woman in the back that wants to feel the glow. As soon as she gets done making this challenge, you hear Sonya Deville come out and she says that Naomi isn't going to have a match tonight. She tells Naomi to hit the back. Naomi says, you know, I am going to have a match tonight, and since since you came out here, why not you? Sonya Deville ends up denying the challenge because she is no longer an active wrestler and she is Naomi's boss, in a sense. And Naomi isn't trying to hear that. She makes a chant for Sonya Deville to make the match. She has the fans even chanting along with, make the match. So now people want to see Naomi going against Sonya Deville. Deville isn't trying to hear that. She calls security to come out to escort Naomi to the back, and as security is doing this, but they're not putting hands on Naomi, you hear Sonya Deville just talking about how WWE management gave Naomi opportunities to prove herself, and every time they gave her opportunity, she would drop the ball. So now it's time for her to go over the back and just do TikTok dances and go off into obscurity as people like Sonya will be making the women's division a better place for the future. That's setting up for Naomi to fight Sonya Deville somewhere down the line. I'm telling you right now. That's what it's setting itself over for. After this, we go backstage to Roman Reigns and the bloodline walking. It's, almost time, it's about time for the main event now. Roman makes a right turn, and Paul follows right behind him. And then the Usos walks over to the left because they see two figures right there, and they walk closer to the figures. And it shows that the figures are Alpha Academy, Chad Gable, and Otis. The Usos and the Alpha Academy having a stare down with each other. So this is telling you that the Alpha Academy has their eyes set on the tag team championships. And if the Usos do retain their tag team championships at Extreme Rules against the Street Profits, Alpha Academy is going to be on their butt. So this is basically getting you as a fan hyped up to see the possibility of that match to happen. Now it's time for the main event. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman in his corner going against Montez Ford. Roman Reigns... Puts Montez Ford to sleep at the end of this match. Meaning, he beats Montez Ford by submission. Montez has a good showing in this match. Montez was able to show people what he can do as an individual wrestler, not just a tag team wrestler. But, in the end, Roman Reigns is that guy. He is the head of the table for a reason. And he proves it when Montez Ford goes to the top rope and he jumps off for a frog splash. But Roman sees this coming, and he puts his knees up, and Ford lands directly on Roman's knees. So Roman immediately locks in the guillotine, and Ford is trying to fight out as much as he can, but he is starting to slip away from consciousness, and before he completely slips away, he taps out. So the referee sees this, and Roman wins by submission. After the match is done, though, Paul Heyman grabs the mic and tells Roman that Montez Ford hasn't paid for what he said earlier in the night. So he has given Roman the permission to get extreme on Montez Ford. Roman is hyped up about this and he says, okay, okay, we can do that. And he tells Paul to tell production to play the Usos music. And that's exactly what production do. The production team play the Usos music and out comes the Usos towards the ring. Roman tells the Usos to get chairs and to set up a table on the outside. And they do that. They hand Roman a chair, and they begin to set a uh, table up on the outside. Roman has this chair, and he begins to start hitting forward directly in the back with the steel chair. I mean, two, three, four, five shots to the back. And then, ultimately, Roman does throw Montez Ford out of the ring into the outside. And then Roman goes to the outside, and he hits a urinagi, which is basically a rock bottom without you landing your body on the uh, ground with your opponent. But he has a Urinagi on Ford through the table. And the bloodline is now standing on over Ford with their one finger in the air. Because it symbolizes that they're the one. And then the lights go off. And the lights go off for a good couple tens about 10 seconds. And then a red light starts to flash in the arena. And you hear the fans anticipate it because they know what's coming. And a heartbeat starts to hit. Around the area. And sound off around the arena. And it keeps on going over. And everybody knows. Okay it's the demon here now. And then it hits. And it hits Finn Ballard's music. With the demon uh, undertone on it. And you see the demon. On the top turnbuckle. Waiting for the bloodline to turn around. And once they do. He jumps off the turnbuckle. And lands on the entire bloodline. He ends up going underneath the ring and grabbing a kindle stick, and then he starts laying into the bloodline. He gives Roman a shot, Jimmy a shot, Jay a shot. He kind of keeps on doing this until Roman uh, was able to hit Finn in the back and then throw him into the ring. And then Roman grabs a chair from the outside and he goes inside the ring. And before he was even able to use the chair, Finn got up and hit Roman with a sling blade. And now you got Roman dropped to the ground. In the ring and the demon sees the chair and he gets up and he starts going to work on the back of Roman. He starts hitting Roman in the back two or three times, one time on the side. And as this is going on, the Usos get on the ring apron and you see the demon go over and hit both of the Usos. And this now gives Roman the opportunity to roll out of the ring and try to catch his breath. But that doesn't happen. He makes it outside of the ring, but the demon focuses attention back onto Roman and he hits a Top Con Hilo, which is basically a running, jumping over the ropes, Swanton onto Roman. And Roman is there and he gets hit by that move. And the demon stands up and flexes over Roman Reigns' prone body on the outside. And this is how SmackDown ends. Basically, give you an idea of what you could see at Extreme Rules if Roman. Roman happens to lose towards the Demon and loses the Universal Championship. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage starts off. The first match of the night is Powerhouse Hobbs with Hook in his corner going against CM Punk. And again, this is CM Punk's first televised match in seven years. Not his first match. This is his first televised match in seven years. And another interesting note, CM Punk's Switch from wrestling pants to back to his old wrestling like tights now. So he's back to that. CM Punk does win the match though by pinfall. This happens when Punk was setting up for the GTS. And then Hook gets on the ring apron. Punk runs over to Hook. And as soon as Punk gets to Hook. He sees Hobbs running towards him. Like he's about to hit his back. So CM Punk dodges out of the way. Moves out of the way. And Hobbs hits Hook. And now you see Hook laid out on the ground after he's taking this big, powerful hit at Hobbs. Hobbs is standing there, and he looks at Hook to make sure he's okay. And now Hobbs, with the distracting, distraction, CM Punk was able to turn around Hobbs and hit him with the GTS and pin him for the win. Again, this was a solid match. I would suggest you probably watch it for a good couple of minutes. Like I said, it was a good, solid match for CM Punk. It was a good, solid match for Hobbs. And uh, we just got to see where this thing takes it down the line. Because Ricky Starks has been on commentary for a good... I'm not going to say how long he's been on there for, but he's been on certain episodes, like on certain YouTube episodes, like AEW Dark or AEW elevation For what I've seen, he's been on commentary. He was on commentary tonight for uh, AEW Rampage. Well, Friday night for AEW Rampage. So it's... It is funny to see where this is headed. And also, I want to see when are they going to debut Hook. Because Hook has been with Team Taz for almost a solid year now. And I want to see where they can take this almost a solid year. Because last year, around this time, I believe he was with uh, MGF as He was campaigning to be the next AEW World Champion. But anyway, I just want to see Hook get into the ring and just see what he got. After this, they play a video of Jay Cargill, Thunder Rosa, and Nyla Rose separately. And they're all talking about having beef with each other. I would think this was going to lead up to a triple threat match somewhere down the line. And the winner gets a shot at the AEW Women's Championship since Britt Baker won it. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out and say Thunder Rosa is going to win this because Britt and Thunder still have some problems that they need to clear up. After this, we get a trios tag team match, and if you don't know what Trios is, it's a six-man tag team match. of so three members going against three members. And the teams are the Super Click, which consists of Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, and in their corner is Doc Gallows and Brandon Cutler, going against a team of Christian Cage and Jurassic Express, which is Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And in their corner, they have Marco Stunt. The Super Click beats Jurassic Express and Christian by pinfall, this happens when the Young Bucks throw Christian and Jungle Boy off the stage ramp onto the ground next to the stage. The stage was elevated and also the ramp was elevated too. So whenever they threw them off, they threw them off a nice good distance for them to land. And it will give them some time to just do what they got to do to Luchasaurus who was the uh, legal participant on their team. And in the ring was Adam Cole and Luchasaurus. Adam Cole was able to hit the Power of on Luchasaurus, and then the Young Bucks were able to come in and hit the BTE trigger on Luchasaurus, and then Adam was able to put the final nail in Luchasaurus' coffin by hitting him with the Boom, which is a renaming of the Last Shot, which is a knee to behind the head, a running knee behind the head, and um, Adam pins Luchasaurus for the win. So the Lucha, uh, not Lucha, but. Super click wins over Dirazi Express and Christian Cage. It was a fun six-man tag team match. You'll understand why the Super Click, at least in my personal opinion, you had to be around, you had to be around for their Ring of Honor run in what 2015? Because Adam Cole's only been around all for four years. So, like I said, 2015, 2016, that era, whenever Adam Cole was with Bullet Club. So yeah, you got to understand from that time of Ring of Honor, you understand how important the super clique is. And whenever they do all team up together, it's going to be a solid match. And this is exactly what it was, a solid six-man tag team match. After this, we had another tag team match, but this time only on you know, the two-on-two variety. And it had the men of the year, which consists of Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, with Dan Lambert in their corner, going against Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. Uh, the men of the year win the match by a pinfall. This happens when Jake Hager is running towards Scorpio Sky. And Dan Lambert tra- grabs uh, Hager by the foot. And Hager stumbles on this because you're not supposed to grab nobody's foot. And if you are, you know how somebody grabs your foot or try to put their foot in front of you. You're going to stumble a little bit. And this will happen to Hager. He stumbles a little bit and Sky sees this. And he quickly runs over to Hager and pins him in an inside cradle for the win. However, after the match, though, Hager doesn't take exception to losing, and he attacks both Sky and Paige, and he sends them both out of the ring after he attacks them, and then he grabs Dan Lambert on the outside and brings him inside the ring. And now you got Jericho grabbing Dan Lambert by his t-shirt collar, and he was about to hit him, but American top team members start coming out of everywhere, from people coming out of the uh, crowds from one area to the other area to the other area. You had Junior Dos Santos, Andre Oloski, Paige Van Zandt, Jorge Masvidal, um, and some other guys all in America top team coming around to the aid of Dan Landberg. They surround the ring, and then you get Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky getting on the ring apron and telling them to attack Hager and, Jake, Hager and Jericho, which they do. Um, they all dogpile on top of Jericho and Hager and they just start putting their boots and fists directly up on Hager and Jericho. Even at one point, they had Jorge Masvidal hit a running knee on Jericho in the face to lay him out. And that's what the, that happens at the end of this segment. Jorge lays out Jericho and you got now the Men of the Year and America Top Team standing over the bodies of Jericho and Hager. So this is telling me that Men of the Year and Dan Lambert, especially Dan Lambert, ain't going nowhere, but the team of the Men of the Year, of Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, they're not going nowhere. And I'm happy for them because uh, I like their entrance theme, and plus I like what they're doing with the Men of the Year when they actually do get on television they're brash guys who just want to make a name for themselves quickly and get a lot of money and notoriety. So I dig it. After this, we get an eight-man tag team match now, and it's of the HFO, which consists of the Butcher and the Blade, and Private Party going against the team of Santana and Ortiz, and the AEW Tag Team Champions, the Lucha Brothers. Santana and Ortiz and the Lucha Brothers beat the HFO by a pinfall. This happens when Santana is uh, laid out on the mat, and Mark Quinn goes to the top rope and tries to hit a shoot and press, but misses the move whenever Santana rolls out of the way, and Mark lands on his feet. And Penta quickly runs in and kicks Mark in the gut. And he has him positioned for the fear factor, which is a package power driver. And Phoenix gets to the top rope and hits a double foot stomp on the butt of Mark so he can drop down, get drilled into the fear factor and also feel the force of the double foot stomp. And that's exactly what happened. And then you got Penta and Phoenix rolling Mark Quinn over to Ortiz, so Ortiz and Santana get hit their tag team finish, which is the Street Sweeper, which is a tag team blockbuster. Ortiz holds whatever victim it is on his shoulders for a power bomb, but uh, Santana gets to the top rope and jumps off and hits a flying blockbuster on the opponent at the same time as he's giving as he's being get a power bomb. Um, but yeah, they do that and then they cover him to win the match. And then we get a backstage interview with Jack Evans and Matt Hardy. The main point is that Matt Hardy is challenging Orange Cassidy to a match somewhere later down the line in his hair versus hair, which we do find out later in the night that next week on AEW Rampage, it will be Orange Cassidy putting his hair on the line against, not Matt Hardy. Oh no, Matt happens to volunteer Jack Evans. So it will be Orange Cassidy going against... Um, Jack Evans in a hair versus hair match next week on AEW Rampage. After this, we get Sammy Guevara and Fuego on the entrance stage, and they have cue cards. Sammy usually has cue cards whenever the commercial's about to show up on the American version, and if you're on fight, you can still see AEW television completely throughout the way, even on commercial and American airwaves. Um, Sammy has the cue cards as they were... Uh, swiping the cue cards and just letting the fans read them aloud. And you can see a mysterious figure coming from behind them. And that mysterious figure was Miro, and he attacks both Sammy and Fuego. Miro happens to throw Fuego off the stage and into tables below them. And Miro happens to lock in the game over on Sammy, try to hurt him, so he won't be in 100% condition whenever he has to fight Miro next week on AEW Dynamite for the TNT Championship. Smart strategy on Miro's part. After this, we get a video package of Andrade. Andrade's whole main point of this is that he's going to face Pac again. But they didn't give a date for that. Just want to let you know that. But he will be facing Pac again. And this time, whenever Andrade happens to win, Andrade mentions that Pac will have no excuses this time. Because unlike last well, unlike next time, the last time they had a match, which was on Rampage. Two weeks ago, Pac happened to lose towards Andrade because Chavo, he came in and hit Andrade with an iPad. And Andrade was upset by this, and he kicked Chavo out of his faction, out of his little trust unit. So it's only now Andrade and his handler. And he also made the point that if you think you're going to beat me, that's not going to happen. I am the best. After this, we get a match between Anna Jay and Penelope Ford. Penelope happens to beat Anna Jay by a pinfall. This happens when the referee was distracted by the bunny who came out earlier in the match. And the bunny uh, happens to throw Penelope some brass knuckles under the referee's nose, which means the referee didn't see it. Penelope happens to grab the brass knuckles it hit Anna Jay directly in the face and covers her for the pin. After the match, though, Penelope and the Bunny were about to tag Anna some more, but Ty Conti comes down to try to make the safe, but that doesn't end well for her. Um, Ty gets hit with the brass knuckles, and then it's dropped, and now she's laid out. And then the rest of the Hardy family organization, the F- HFO, come down to the ring and make a wall. And this is kind of like calling out Orange Cassidy to say if he's going to do something, he needs to try to come out here and do something right now. Because we're out here and we want to fight you, but we know you're not going to do nothing. So we're going to just wait to see if you try. In which they pull Orange Cassidy's punk card and Orange Cassidy comes out, but he's not coming out empty handed. He comes with Chris Statlander. Chris Statlander and Orange Cassidy is on the entrance stage and they're looking at the HFO. And Orange just says that it shrugs his shoulders. And then you see the Dark Order coming out. Yes, the whole entire Dark Order unit come out to the ring, and they beeline it directly to the ring to try to save Anna and um from any more punishment because Anna is a part of the Dark Order. They send the HFO packing and sending them directly to the back, and now you got the Dark Order and Anna J and Ty Conti in the ring, and now it now it becomes a moment because the Dark Order haven't been on the same page for a good solid month or two because whenever Adam Page had to leave and actually uh, take care of of himself, the Dark Order just started to split between two groups. Either you're listening or you're with Evil Uno or you're with Alex Silver. And this is whenever now they come together into the ring and now they're trying to reconcile Alex Silver puts his, not Alex Silver, God, Alex Reynolds. I'm sorry, I came on saying Silver, but no. Alex Reynolds puts his hand out for Evil Uno to shake it. But Evil Uno sees this, and then he walks away out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp. Stu Grayson follows him, and he asks him, trying to ask him, why don't you shake his hand? And Evil ain't even trying to talk about it. He just gets up, walks out of the ring, and walks up the entrance stage. So now you still have this dissension between the Dark Order, even though they save Anna from getting hurt from more pain. But we're gonna see how this whole Dark Order uh Dark Order feud has to end. Will it end well or will it uh will it end badly with the Dark Order just all being split apart? But we shall see in the coming of weeks, hopefully. After this, now it's time for the main event, the Lights Out Tag Team Match between Eddie Kingston and John Moxley going against a team of Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley beat Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki by pinfall. This happens when... This... Let me tell you, before I give you the ending result, well, how it got to it, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer were taking control of this match completely. A good 90% of this match was... Minoru Suzuki and uh, Archer just beating up on uh, Kingston and Moxley. Just constantly beating him up. Even at one point, they had Moxley's arms uh, duct taped behind him so that he couldn't try to do anything. And they had a belt, and they just started hitting uh, Moxley in the back with the belt. And I don't know if it's going to leave him with any type of welts. But, hey, we shall see whenever AEW does do another... uh, Type of show like that again, but um, in the end, Minoru Suzuki and Archer in the ring, they're beating up on Moxley and Kingston. Moxley's placed on the top turnbuckle by Archer because Archer was looking to hit his finish, the blackout. Until a gunshot goes off and music plays in the area in the arena. Minoru and Archer then turn their heads up on the entrance ramp, and they see nobody coming out. But the name flashes on the entrance ramp and it reads Homicide. And it's the New York Legend Homicide, the Ring of Honor, and Impact Wrestling, or TNA Wrestling. If you've been watching it for a good long period of time, know what TNA wrestling is. Um, he comes out and he makes a save for his buddy Eddie Kingston, because they're real life friends in this uh world. So He comes out from the crowd and he goes into the ring and he tags both Archer and Minoru Suzuki with chair shots to the gut. This disarms Minoru and Archer because now they got to hold on to their guts. So this gives Homicide the perfect opportunity to run over to Moxley and start cutting the duct tape off of his arms. And he does this and now Suzuki gets back up and he throws Homicide out of the ring. Suzuki doesn't know that Moxley's arms have now been freed up so Minoru Minoru goes for his uh, signature Gotch-style pile driver, but Moxley happens to pull both of his arms from behind his back, and he kicks Minoru Suzuki in the gut, and he was able to hit him with the Paradigm Shift on a chair underneath him. Archer sees this. He runs directly towards Moxley, and he also eats a Paradigm Shift on the chair for his trouble. Moxley rolls out of the ring to make sure Suzuki is taken care of for good, and Eddie is now telling Homicide to throw him a trash can. Homicide throws him a trash can. Homicide is now out there in the ring watching as Eddie puts Archer's head and shoulders into the trash can, and Eddie Kingston picks up a Kindle stick, and he just starts whaling out right on that trash can. He starts beating on that trash can that Lance is in, and Lance is defenseless. He can't do nothing, but Eddie is still beating on that trash can until he gets satisfied and his satisfaction is whenever he's broken the Kindle stick which he did do and he pulls Archer's head and shoulders out of the trash can he covers the man for the uh, win and that's exactly how uh, Moxley and Kingston won impartial to Homicide helping them so Rampage ends with Moxley, Kingston and Homicide in the ring celebrating and that's exactly how AEW Rampage ends now, before I get you guys out of here, let me give you my Extreme Rules predictions. And it goes like this. At Extreme Rules, I am predicting right now for Roman to beat the Demon to retain his Universal Championship. I am predicting Becky Lynch to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. I'm not saying that she might beat uh, Bianca by pitfall submission. I'm just thinking that Becky probably going to either... Either she's going to win by this, not win, but she's going to retain the championship by disqualification or notice or, uh, count out. But Becky is still walking out with a SmackDown Women's Champion. But if I have to give you a concrete answer, just like I did with the Roman one, I'm going to say that Bianca is going to win the match by, uh, disqualification or ring out. And that still will give me Becky Lynch retaining the SmackDown Women's Champion. So that all is in the exact same meaning of that. After this, I will have to say Damian Priest is going to retain his United States Championship against both Sheamus and Jeff Hardy in this Triple Threat match. I have the Usos beating the Street Profits to retain their SmackDown Tag Team Championships. I have Liv Morgan beating Carmella. And I have Charlotte Flair beating Alexa Bliss to retain the Raw Women's Championship. And and on this pay-per-view, there's only six matches, so I know they're going to get a lot of airtime, especially Roman and the Demon and the Usos and the Street Profits, and probably even Damian Priest and uh, his other, Jeff Hardy and uh, Sheamus for the United States Championship match. And um, I just hope that this Extreme Rules pay-per-view won't be a drag. That it will be something that can keep up beat and keep up pace so we all can just enjoy that pay per view without having to be a complete snores fest. Um, but yet again, that was my predictions for that pay per view. And you, I've given you the highlights for uh, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Um, let me give you my social media links before I get out of here. For Twitter, you can find me at, at my two podcast. On Instagram, you can find me at my two cents podcast G two. On for email, if you want to email me about anything, so you can be heard, or you want to email me just to talk, or do you want to email me for any type of uh, business uh, type of business dealings? If you want me to talk about a product that you have, hey, my email is my. Two cents pod at yahoo.com. Again, my two cents pod at yahoo.com is not T-W-O or T O O. You put the two in all these social media links. And if you want to listen to past episodes and future episodes of this podcast, whether it be for wrestling new wrestling highlights or Sunday episodes where I talk about news that have happened in the week or things I find interesting. Um, you can find them at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and Audible. And just look under My Two Cents Podcasts. All one word. So again, um, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Cents Podcast. hosted by G2. I am G2. I'm hoping to look forward to for, to uh you guys hearing me tomorrow. My Sunday episode where I talk about... Uh, things in the news, specifically this week, and um, if you don't, you'll hear from me, well, this Monday, where I review uh, the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, where I give you the aftermath, well, not the aftermath, but what happened at the Extreme Rules, the review, and how I feel about it. Um. Anyway. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet voice again. I have been G2. I thank you all. I want you to have a blessed Saturday. I hope you decide to tune in tomorrow to my uh, Sunday episode. But if not, you can tune in to my Monday episode where I talk about the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, give you my review. But if you don't even want to do that, you can go over and wait until next Saturday where you can listen to the Wrestling Highlights of the week where I can give you the aftermath after Extreme Rules and also where people are starting to be drafted to on the WWE draft because the draft will be starting uh next Friday on the SmackDown episode and it will finish the Monday night raw after the SmackDown so uh the Monday night after the Friday night SmackDown. Oh, um, you'll make it will make more sense when you see it. But anyway, again, this has been uh Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by uh, My Two Cents podcast hosted by G2. I have been G2. I love you all. Have a great Saturday. This is a goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet voice again. I love you all. Have a great day. Have a blessed day. Please be safe if you decide to go out anywhere. But until you hear from this voice again, I love you. Bye-bye. And Kanye, send us home now, please. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wait.